It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? It is Wednesday night, a little later than usual, 8 p.m. start time. I had a few things that I had to knock off, and our guest tonight uh, was really nimble uh, with moving some things around. So we were live at 8 p.m., like the real true definition of prime time. Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. <laughs> Back in your life, whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. What's up, Ryan Talbot? Hey, not too much. How are you? I was just about to say, what are we celebrating this weekend, though, now that football's gone? Um, that's a great, great question. I'm trying to think. Well, honestly, I'm I'm getting ready for the combine. So I'm 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 pretty sure everybody can kind of just get their favorite mock draft machine up on the computer, head to tops, grab a breakfast pizza for like breakfast or dinner, and then just fire it up and start, you know, seeing who the bills are gonna take at 25. Or maybe lo and behold, uh, maybe a trade up. Like I'm seeing a lot of like mock draft. I'm starting to dive into it here. And there's a lot of interesting names that I think could be in that 20 to 25 range that might be, uh, depending on what happens at free agency. That, that's a, that's a long way down the road. <laughs> Before we get too much into this thing here, Nick Veronica is, uh, joining us tonight. Um, Nick, I gotta be honest. I've, I've been kind of meaning to have you on for a while. You've been back in Buffalo now for, I think a little bit over a year. That's You're good. at. Two years. Wow. Time flies, man. Uh, you're over at WIVB. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your role there, what you're doing. Um, and then we'll get into your your journey a little bit. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I got to tell you, commitment on on the Sunday plans. You're like, what should we do? It's mock draft season. I mean, my, my, my tip for you guys would be like, we've had football so many Sundays in a row. It's kind of like when hockey playoffs start, there's, you know, there's a game on like, you know, 20 something days in a row to start. And that first day off, like you guys Man, you're telling telling the wife this Sunday. This is for you. We are going to brunch. Like that. Like that's the the veteran savvy <laughs> move here. All right. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing I'm doing good. I've been here. I mean, when I moved back, it was like peak of quarantine, so it feels like it, it was just a blur. But yeah, I'm over at uh, at Channel Four. You, Matt, you get you're a part of our Buffalo Kickoff Live team. We love having you on. Um, and it's it's going it's going well. It's busy and it, it, it's a lot going on, but. If there's something happening in Buffalo, we are probably on it. And um yeah, it's it's going it's going really well. Let's talk some Bills football, man. So Nick, Veronica, like there's such a a wealth of options in the Buffalo media market. Uh mm-hmm. if you're not following Nick Veronica, make sure you're doing so. Um guy's been uh, around the Bills for a while now. You're at the Buffalo News for a little bit. Uh you moved to New York City for a little while. Now you're back, obviously. Tell us a little bit about your journey, like how you you, know, you graduated from Canisius mm-hmm. and, and, and kind of how you got to where you are now. All right. Well, I started uh, started out with you. We were interns together at the Buffalo News. Uh, what was that? A hundred years ago, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I was I was there. It was after my junior year at Canisius. And then I had an internship at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette at their newspaper. I uh, came back after that, started at the Buffalo News, was working part time and just grinding and working my way up and 
Uh, Tyler Dunn, this summer, he left for Bleacher Report. And then I kind of just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And my boss, Lisa Wilson, trusted me. So thank you, Lisa, for that opportunity. <laughs> and just kind of ran with it from there. So it's, uh, you know, you always think you're, everybody thinks your life's going to go one way. And, and it kind of goes goes like that. So everything, things get crazy. I ended up, yeah, I moved out to the New York City area. I was at NBC Sports for a while. Um, then the pandemic happened and me and, uh, you know, a couple hundred other people all got laid off and, and somebody goes, well, congratulations. I said, for, for what? And they said, well, you're not really in media until you've been laid off. So, mm-hmm. you know, I guess all, all things, things work out for good. So I moved back here, was lucky enough to land something at, at channel four and I've been here coming up on a year now. So it's keep, keep your options open, keep learning, keep, keep being versatile. You can find all of Nick's Bill's thoughts on the process pod. Uh, you guys have been doing that for how long now? Yeah, it's about roughly two years. Just before the pandemic, we started. By the way, you guys are both welcome. We need to get you back on the process at some point. Yes, definitely. Um, and, you know, all things Bill's. Uh, obviously, you do a lot of different things over at WIVB. I love um, uh, doing the shows over there. Uh, but let's get into some Bill stuff. Ryan, where do you want to start off here with tonight? By the way. What do you got there? Smoothie. Uh, this is a little bit aggressive for the pod. I usually have a cup of coffee, but I was feeling so. Okay. So this is kind of a long story, but you know, (laughs) I've been, I've been like really slacking off in the gym. Like every time, like the, the, the season, you, you know, Nick, like you get your tweet about it. The, uh, the cold is a real factor. Yeah. And like, you just lose kind of like that, that gym grind and like the, the heart of the, of the season and the schedule. It's just, you don't have a lot of extra time. I got, you know, family, I'm teaching all this kind of stuff. So I lost it. Well, John Scott from Spectrum News, he made me join his gym. So I'm working out with him, which by the way, if you ever want to feel like an absolute incompetent dude in the gym, (laughs) go work out for a day with John Scott. Although he's been great. He's like showing me all these new things. It's Mm -hmm. a great gym over in Orchard Park. It's great. But, um, you know, so this week I've been three days so far I've worked out and I, and I had chicken and broccoli all day today and I got to right now and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm struggling. So I had to make a little bit of a smoothie, get some sugar going, some protein. Keep being healthy, so, though, like that. Yeah. Respect it. Yeah. Excuse me for this. So go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. The 8 PM smoothie, just like the doctor ordered, uh, you know, some bills talk. Let's, let's get into some quarterback talk, actually a little recency bias. Uh, you were mentioning it before the show here, Matt, good morning football. Uh, a little bit of talk today about Joe Burrow being the quarterback to beat in the AFC. I'd love to hear what you guys think on that topic. I think you said the word right there, recency bias. That that to me, that's that's all that is. Nothing at all against Joe Burrow, but uh, the AFC still goes through Mahomes and Allen, as far as I'm concerned. Totally, and you know, Burrow was was really good in the playoffs. Like all things considered, I thought he was probably playing behind the worst offensive line of any quarterback in the AFC. So I think from that perspective, kind of give him a tip of the cap. He was able to kind of withstand a lot of it on the way to a Super Bowl matchup against probably the scariest defensive line when they were playing at that mm-hmm. level that you'd probably find in the NFL. I mean, Von Miller had a couple sacks. Aaron Donald had a couple sacks. I mean, everything that they built that line to be, they were in the Super Bowl. And I, and I get it. And, like, he, he was in a position in the third quarter, late in the f- middle of the fourth quarter, where you started to think, I mean, are the Cincinnati Bengals going to steal this game? And so when you come that close to a Super Bowl championship, I get it. But, I mean, that is some hyperbolic, early off-season content for the masses to kind of go up there. And 
part of you wonders about some of these national shows, how much they don't do that kind of stuff to drum up the interest. Like, you know, like you say stuff that, that throws sh- sh- like um, intended or unintended shade at Josh Allen. The mafia is going to excuse the irony here, but mount up on social media and absolutely go and try to destroy these folks. And to me, that's what it kind of was doing. Uh, I tweeted, I thought it was kind of like peak off season content. I mean, we're barely into the off season, uh, but I would rank Joe Burrow probably third at this point in the AFC. Um, I know a lot of people want to give some love to Justin Herbert. There's still that, you know, Lamar Jackson. I, I, I'm not as high on him. I never was really, you know, uh, as high on, on him as most were, but I think to Nick's point, it's, it's Allen and, and Mahomes. Yeah, I agree completely with that. And, and then you had, you know, you had Kay Adams chiming in saying uh, more success early in his career. And, and I get that it's year two for him in Cincinnati, but he's the same age as Josh Allen. That's the other thing you have to remember. Sometimes these players stay in college and by the time they come out, they're not, they're a little bit older than some of these players in terms of how old they were in the, when they came out. You have to remember that in his rookie year, yeah, the offensive line was bad last year too for Cincinnati, but he had T Higgins and he had Tyler Boyd. Uh, those early years of Josh Allen, the rookie year, you had Andre Holmes and Zay Jones and <laughs> Kelvin Benjamin. It, it's not exactly uh, apples to apples here. So, uh, like you said, it, it's it's great offseason talk. He had a great year. This is not disrespect to Joe Burrow. I like the guy. I like a lot about him, but he, he's not in the same stratosphere, in my opinion, as Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. I feel like this happens after the Super Bowl. You know, you, the, the Joe Burrow take is one side, and on the other hand, you got people, is Matt Stafford a Hall of Famer? No, Matt Stafford's not a Hall of Famer yet. This is, you know, a couple of years ago, right after the Super Bowl, oh, Julian Edelman must be a Hall of No, you just, you just really like the Super Bowl, and now you need something to talk about. <laughs> it's funny. I was talking about this today on, on another show. I, I guess what do we learn from the, the Super Bowl, but like maybe a takeaway uh, if you will, one of them for me was as stinging of a game as that was probably to watch for Bills fans. It probably was a little bit more so knowing that Josh Allen in that game against that defense probably does enough to win that game, you know? And I think that's one of the things that I saw kind of percolating on so- social media during the game is like, oh man, the Bills or the Chiefs win this game or the Bills win this game. They're better than the Rams. I don't know so much if they're necessarily definitively better than the Rams. But what I do think is that offensively and Josh Allen, the quarterback was much more kind of prepared to battle what that was, what they, he was going to face with that defensive line because of his mobility, his ability to get out of the pocket. That's the part of it. I think maybe Kay Adams and Schrager uh, to a lesser extent, maybe what Kyle Brandt was trying to kind of get a point, the, the point across. And he did a little bit to a, to a degree talking about just putting the film on from, the Chiefs game and how Josh Allen played, but we're talking about eight quarters, eight, eight and, and change quarters from Josh Allen. Some of the best playoff football that a quarterback's turned in in history. And so, you know, yeah, I, I think at this point, like that's to me one one of my biggest takeaways was how well I think Josh Allen and this Bills offense would have would have played in that game. Ryan, what about you? Yeah, maybe not Bills related, but I think the the main thing I learned is stay the hell off of social media if you're playing in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Eli Apple got absolutely roasted by wide receivers of opposing teams, obviously by Kansas City wide receivers who he called out uh, going into the Super Bowl. Quentin Spain gets called out by Jeffrey Simmons of the Titans. Uh, you know, if you're playing in the big game, just let that be your, your sole focus for the two weeks leading up to it. 
Uh, don't <laughs> hash out any kind of bad blood that you had with players that aren't playing in that game because, you know, uh, there's a lot of receipts that will get cashed in uh, if you end up on, on the losing side. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man, I feel what you were saying before the game. I tweeted, you know, every year you used to watch the Super Bowl and be like, are the Bills even like in the same league as these teams? And then this year you're sitting down and you're like, the Bills should have won this game. Like the Bills could have been in this game and won it. And, you know, who knows what happens when they actually kick off, but they really could have won. And that was such a difference to me. If you're talking about takeaways from the actual game, like like the Rams built their team by realizing that they, they were going for it. So Robert Woods goes down. They bring in Odell Beckham. They bring in Von Miller. Like they went for it. And we've seen the last couple of years, the bills between free agency, between the trade deadline that they haven't really like gone for it. Like they've made moves to get better, but they haven't like really been all in and gone for it. And so you, know, you could say, you know, they didn't have the cap or whatever, but that was nice to see the bills. I think personally, the Josh Allen's cap structure coming up, this is his last year before he gets very, very expensive on the cap. Like this is the bills year to go for it. So whatever you need, you got to bring it in. If it's looking at the trade deadline, like you got to, you got to bring in that reinforcement. This is the year to go for it. You got to recognize the moment when you're in it sometimes. And the, for me, for the bills coming up, that that's one of them. And then the other one, just how nice is it when you can threaten the quarterback, you can get pressure rushing just for, you can have a threat without having to blitz. You can just rush for the Rams just kind of sat back a little bit, just, and obviously no one's got Aaron Donald out there, but and you can rush for the bills haven't really threatened to, you know, with, with their four man rush consistently in a, in a long time. We all love Jerry Hughes. He's a good NFL player, but, but across the, across the whole line, mm-hmm. when was the last time you felt that the bills front four alone was really a threat on a consistent basis? Yeah. Mario Williams days, maybe. I mean, and that was more so even maybe on paper at times, just because when, when they brought him in and then it was uh, Mark Anderson and you still had Darius and you had Kyle Williams, mm-hmm. but they also had some production there, but you're right. You, you look at this Bill's line and uh, there have been moments. I thought Ed Oliver took a big step forward this year, mm-hmm. but he didn't have much help across that line. Jerry Hughes was recording pressures, but those pressures weren't resulting in sacks. And, and they have a lot of young guys. I agree with you. This is a team that needs to go all in this offseason, find that veteran pass rusher that, one, can, can be that immediate force for this team on the field, but can also help those younger players. And, and listen, Brandon Bean, he, he's tried a little bit in the last calendar year. They were in the race for J.J. Watt. They didn't end up getting him. He goes to Arizona. The Bills were in on Von Miller. He ends up uh, going out of conference, which I don't think surprises anyone. If you have a team in the NFC that that's offering, even if it's the same as what the Bills were offering, you're going to trade him out of conference before you trade him to another team that you might end up playing down the road if he resigns there or something along those lines. But this is the year that he he has to swing for the fences. So maybe it's hey, let's go to the Saints who have you know they they every year they seem to be up against the cat. Maybe it's a Cameron Jordan, you know, uh, or someone you know. I'm, that's just a hypothetical. You have to go out there and try to find someone that's realistic. I, I know I see in the comments Khalil Mack and some of these other names. Uh, as much as you can man- manipulate the cap, I don't know if some of those guys are realistic, but you can get some guys in here that are. 10 plus uh, sacks per year average over the last few years that could come in and be a difference maker. As you mentioned like on paper, even, even the threat of it is, is enough sometimes in the game plan to, to put it in your head without a doubt. 
We're joined tonight by uh, Nick Veronica uh, from Channel 4 in Buffalo. Uh, we're talking a little Bills, talking a little uh, quarterbacks, uh, internet fads. We'll get into some other uh, stuff uh, later in the, the episode. But hit that like button, subscribe as well. We really appreciate your support. Um, I put out a story today. I was listening to Eric Wood's podcast this morning, and he had an interview with Brandon Bean, and they kind of took some fan questions, dove into a couple offseason to- topics. It'll be fun, I think. To follow up on that in a couple of weeks in Indianapolis at the Combine, we get a chance to talk to, to Brandon Bean again, hopefully. Uh, but one of the things that really stuck stuck out to me was when he was asked about the Rams model, to your point, Nick, and if that's something they would consider. And he's like, you know, we'll always consider making moves to make, to make the team better. And I think, you know, you go back to the Stephon Diggs t- trade, and I think, you know, there's probably been other trades that he's kind of done his due diligence on and figured out you know, whether or not that's a move that makes sense. But he didn't shy away from it. He said, listen, if there's a move that is going to bring a player in that's going to be a difference maker and it makes dollars and cents, you know, more or less, it's a move that he'll do every time. But he did mention some things that you do have to be careful with. I mean, you go all in on a player and in the Rams case, it worked out well. You know, they were in an advantageous situation where it was kind of a down year for the NFC. I mean, there wasn't a lot of teams that gave them a lot of trouble on their way to the Super Bowl. I mean, if you go back and watch the NFC Championship game, the Rams pretty much sat back and said, hey, do you guys want to win this game? Because if you do, we might just mess around and let you. And, you know, the 49ers obviously didn't have enough firepower to get the job done. But even in the Super Bowl, going up against a second-year quarterback with such a bad offensive line, they had the pieces. One of them was Von Miller, obviously. But it worked out. That's a case where it worked out. There's other cases where maybe you feel like you're one player away, you kind of make a move, and maybe you you give up a first or a second or a third. In the Rams' case, that's what they did. To get Stafford, they gave up a first. To get Miller, they gave up their second and third round pick. They're not going to draft until the fourth round this year, I believe, unless they have another pick hmm. in the first 90. I'm not sure. I, I didn't look at their at their draft picks. But in the end, they got a Super Bowl. So, but, but to Bean's point, what he basically said was, that's all well and good. But if there's an injury along the way to a really important player and that maybe derails your season and you mortgage the future for that one chance and something unforeseen happens, then you're left with, all right, at the other end of this, you don't have that player. You don't have those picks. Are we even good enough to compete right now? That's something that GMs are always balancing. But to your point, Nick, I do think with how good this, the foundation of this roster is now, you're in a spot now where you know the deficiencies of this roster and you know what it's going to take to get one of those players to fill those, you got to kind of swing for the fences here. And I think that's got to come any way they can, whether it be in trade or free agency or, or, you know, even post June 1st uh, cuts potentially. I, I've read some of that could be interesting. You know, you could say whatever you want about the Rams, but they got a Super Bowl. It worked. Mm. All right. If the, the Bills, you know, everybody dreams about the, the 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 four Super Bowls in a row and having this incredible dynasty, but you know how many people have a T-shirt that says "One Before I Die"? Like, get <laughs> one, all right? Just it doesn't matter if it works. So this, I think, for this is the year you gotta you gotta go big. Whatever you need, somebody gets an injury at the trade deadline, whatever, whatever it is. I mean, and I know that they're kind of up against the cap, and there's there's some people they can kind of move on from, but I don't, if they feel they need an expensive guard or they need another wide receiver. They need someone, you know, two top cornerbacks, maybe Trey White's not fully healthy at the start of the year, whatever it is. Like if if that's what they, if they feel like to me, I don't see any reason why you're not absolutely going and getting it this year. 
No, I agree completely with that. And listen, this year worked out for the Rams, but I also feel like the Rams have gone all in for multiple years. In fact, little, little, well, actually, I'll, I guess I'll uh, pose it as a trivia question. When's the last time the Rams had a first round pick? Oh, um, let's 18? see. If you tell me it's Todd Gurley, I'm going to be like, really? <laughs> no, no. Not, not 2016, not Jared Goff. That's the last Holy time. God. Wow. They had a first round pick. So they they have traded away first round picks. They've brought in big name after big name. Uh they had Ramsey, obviously. That was supposed to be the, the move one year. Obviously, this year before the season, they bring in Stafford. Uh they're able to get Odell Beckham Jr. after everything that happens in Cleveland. They trade for Von Miller. So this is nothing new with the Rams. They've done this year after year. So I, I respect what Brandon Bean is saying about, you know, if you go all in and it fails, it, it could blow up in your face. And it very well could. But you've also seen with the Rams model, when there's a will, there's a way. And if you feel like you're going to continue to picking in the the 20s or uh, obviously the 30s is what you're hoping for, 32 to be exact, Every now and then, swing for the fences, it, it might work out for you in, in the short term. And, and you have to roll the dice every now and then if you think you're that close. And, and like Nick said, next year is when Josh Allen's cap hit really starts to hit. And that's when they, they're they going to have to get very creative. So this year is one of those years where go all in. If the right guy is available in the next month or two and you say, can I get someone at, at pick 24 in the 20s this year? Are they going to be an instant impact player? There's no guarantee of that. Or can I trade that pick for someone that's going to come in and get me 10 sacks or someone that's going to be a proven entity that we need at this position? If if that becomes available, I think you really have to consider it. One person that I want to talk about, uh, not to completely switch gears here, but I'm going to anyway. Starla Tulele came up on uh, a podcast I did before this over on Spectrum with Sal and elena and john scott and we were both split or all four of us the panel on what's going to happen with starlet Tulele this offseason i think transitioning into some of the needs for the bills obviously big ones remain on the defensive line there's there's guys going out there's guys kind of in limbo but in terms of starlet Tulele, like i think in a perfect world you get you get to next season and you find a way to move on but that kind of – I mean, there's a couple, like, pieces that have to come along with that. Are they able to re-sign Harrison Phillips? Are they able to draft somebody that they have confidence in? Are they able to trade for somebody or sign somebody that's going to come in here and fill that space-eating one-technique role? I'm not so sure. My my take is that Star Latule at a little north of $9 million cap hit. I think it's $7 million in dead cap if they were to cut him. So you're only adding about $2 million in cap space. I think he's on the roster in 2022. Uh, despite his availability issues all last season. Nick, what say you uh, on Starla Tule? I think I agree with all of those of those points. I think the Bills are in a spot where, again, because you are going for it, if this was a rebuilding team, maybe you wouldn't want to spend that money. But if you, you acknowledge, you know what, he is kind of a backup at this point. I think he played 29% of snaps this season. But he, it, the Bills seem to like him, and they like what he can do in specific spots. And you know what? If you have a guy who fills a role and he McDermott's defense is based around X, Y, and Z, and if he does that for you, like it's okay to have a few higher-priced guys because you're going for it. And also a good point is if you were to cut him, I, I have it in front of me here, 
Yeah, seven point seven million dead cap this year. He only opens up one point five million if you were to cut him. Mm-hmm. You you could post June first them and may then it gets up to like four, a little bit over four million. So I think if they were to cut him, that is what they would do. But you could even say, you know, Star, you kind of lost your starting role. Would you want to restructure? Would you want to? I I don't know. I think they might end up restructuring Daryl Williams. That's one of my other takes for the for the off season. But because he's you know he was they signed him for tackle money, and now he's probably going to play guard. But mm-hmm. I think Star, I don't think they have to cut him. Even like he's not going to be worth what he's being paid. But I think he's still does something in Sean McDermott's defense that he likes. And I think just because of that, they're going to keep him around. Yeah. Agree completely. Uh, the only way he's not suiting up for this team this year is one, if it's the post June 1st cut, like, like Nick mentioned, or two, if he retires and calls it a career, uh, the, the cap savings just aren't there in, in terms of before that 1.5 with, with then again, seven plus million dollars dead cap. That's not Brandon Bean style necessarily, especially, uh, for someone who, like Nick said, even though he's only playing about 30% of the snaps, he still contributes in, in meaningful ways on the field when he's out there. He's still someone that they like in this locker room, someone that they trust, so that there's something to be said about that. Yeah, he's um, never I'm, been a threat to really you know, rush the quarterback. You kind of know what you're getting with him, but they like him anchored against the run. They need kind of help against the run. and they, they rotate pretty frequently, so I don't see why not. I'm so mad. I was trying to look through this for the – during the show before I haven't been able to find it. There was a piece, a piece, I think it was either from spot Trek or over the cap that had all of the cut candidates and like um, whether like they weighed it, like w- why you should cut them or why you shouldn't cut them. Mm-hmm. And with star, it, it's funny because I don't think there's really any getting out of it. And like the restructure idea is interesting but at the same time, it's like, how much do you want this guy around for? He's been such this like this enigma. Like even when he's been really productive, he's just been kind of an odd fellow. I mean, the whole COVID deal, I mean, to this to this day has not been explained why he opted out for a season. Why when he came back, he wasn't uh, vaccinated and went like, you know, got COVID and wasn't the same after COVID and no real answers there. And listen, what are, do what you're going to do. But the whole thing just has this cloud of odd around it. And I, and I almost feel like moving on from him in a lot of ways, the same thing would be accomplished with the Cole Beasley situation is just maybe putting that in the past, but those are two big time pieces on both sides of the ball that whatever you want to say about the off the field stuff or potential distraction stuff in the locker room, I get the sense that guys didn't really feel that to be the case or at least rise to the level that it was a problem. And there's respect for what they bring from a football perspective. I think Cole Beasley's gone, honestly. I mean, I know he's still still a good NFL player in some ways. I think they can get what he was giving them from Isaiah McKenzie. And I don't know what the players inside the locker room felt like in terms of distractions, but I don't know how you can say he wasn't a distraction just to the team as a whole. I mean, from, I don't know, what was August until the first half of the year when, when the Rodgers stuff started going down, like who was a bigger distraction in the NFL than Cole Beasley? I mean, thankfully you had Rodgers and you had uh, the Antonio Brown kind of taking over the distraction crown, but I don't know. I mean, Brandon Bean, I remember it was, it was years ago. Somebody asked him, you know, would you take a shot at Colin Kaepernick? I think it was the Toronto star asked him and, and he said, and he gave his answer and he said, you know, we're not looking to bring a distraction into this team. 
And if that's what you feel like, that's okay to feel that way. But then you got to be consistent in that. So especially given, I mean, Isaiah McKenzie, holy cow, like there was an Isaiah McKenzie game this year. Like he was unbelievable against the Patriots. Like as long as, as long as he's not, maybe the Giants offer him huge money with, with the Bills guys out there. I don't know. But if they can get Isaiah McKenzie back, I think he kind of just slides into the Cole Beasley role. Yeah, Isaiah McKenzie is interesting because he loves Josh Allen. He, he loves playing with him. I mean, he said on the the Hot Ones Wings special that he did, you know, this is for you, Josh Allen. He's always saying, you know, love Josh Allen. But I also don't know if he's the biggest Sean McDermott guy after everything that went down this year, getting benched, getting pulled. He's a Brian Dable guy. We know that. So maybe uh, even if money is similar or slightly less, I could see him going to the Giants to reconnect there with, with Dable or going somewhere where he gets more of an opportunity. And that's what makes Cole Beasley so interesting. I, I feel like you, you can't cut a guy unless you have that backup plan in place. And and right now, I'm not sure that backup plan is on this roster. Uh, you, you look at some of those slot options that they have, you know, you'd have to almost kind of go down the, the list and, and Tanner Gentry is a guy that's on uh, their, the future reserve list. Is he someone you really expect to step in? Absolutely not. And put up those types of numbers. It's, it's just not realistic. Now Be, uh, Beasley did take a step back this year. I think he was a little banged up throughout the year. Maybe there's something you can do with his contract, uh, but it, it's just a tough sell for me because I agree a hundred percent of the distraction part. Uh, someone that racked up over a hundred thousand dollars in fines added on to that, not just the social media distractions, but the mm-hmm. fact that he just didn't care about the fines that he knew he was going to be receiving on a weekly basis. There's something to be said that with that, but you better have a backup plan in place and a good one at that. Do you think he has any trade value? Matt, what do you think? Cause you were actually mentioning this earlier. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I had an interview with uh, Mike Gennetti from uh, SpotTrack.com. We're going to feature that on a podcast tomorrow night, a special Thursday edition of the show. And that's one of the things that he mentioned and that he thinks Cole Beasley has a really, really attractive trade contract. Like, Mm. because there's no, there's no commitment past this season. He still provides value as a player. I mean, somebody in the, in the comments is mentioning that he can still play in this league. I agree. Like, I think yeah, in the right definitely. situation, I, I think he, he probably plays. And listen, if COVID's not as big of an issue next year, a lot of this distraction stuff probably for the most part goes away. Cause I think, I think even Cole to, to his credit, as crazy off the wall as he was early on. And I listen, I can empathize with him to a degree. I get what he was kind of doing as, as poor of a job as I think he, he probably did. He thought he was kind of sticking up for, guys that couldn't talk, that were scared, that they didn't want to get the, the 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 vaccination for whatever their reasons were. And listen, whatever you feel about the vaccination, listen, I'm 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 pretty outspoken of pro being pro vaccine. I get it. Like if you don't want to get it, like if you have questions and and, and you and you're scared about it, it's a personal health deal. I get it. And so I I can empathize with with that part of it. Um but he can still play. I think that he's going to have opportunities elsewhere if he's not on this Bills roster. And a trade to me, like that kind of, you know, gets accomplished what you want to get accomplished. You get that contract off the books. Maybe you bring, you use that in a package to get somebody else in. And I'm not going to tip it off because I'm writing about it for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Maranto is going to really like this article, uh, this article. So stay tuned. <laughs> did, did Mike um, Janitti give you his, his Cole Beasley trade prop? He gave. Uh, he I, I, I heard what he said on his podcast, and I, I don't know. If, that's it. Don't okay. let's not give All it right. away. No let's not give it away because I, I haven't seen. Give, give I haven't seen click. it. 
Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen it written yet, and I'm going to write it up for tomorrow because it's intriguing. Um, I don't know how I can be talked into it, and I guess maybe we will just talk about it because it's you know it is interesting, and we can talk more about it tomorrow. But I don't like the idea of investing that kind of cap dollars in a running back. But to Janetti's point, Christian McCaffrey is obviously the player. Okay. I wasn't going to spoil it for you. And you went, I know, <laughs> but whatever. We'll talk about it. Um, we're going to talk more about it tomorrow on the, on the show tomorrow. But McCaffrey, he thinks, is going to potentially evolve into more of like a slot receiver type mm-hmm. of player. Like maybe that's his future. Um, it, in that situation, it becomes very intriguing because that you make him a really versatile offensive piece for, for Ken Dorsey. If you don't retain, um, Isaiah McKenzie, then that becomes really interesting. And I know what's funny about this. We did a live show back in December with, um, Joe Marino from the draft network and lockdown bills. And we, the guy that helped set it up a huge fan of the show, Scott Morano, my guy, he actually came onto the show and said, I got a hot take for you. The Bills need to go after Christian McCaffrey. He called it back in December, and now it seems like all the all the levers in the league are starting to move. And we saw a report a couple months, like a month ago or so, right before the playoffs, or right as the playoffs were starting, that McCaffrey might be on the on the uh, the, the 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 trade block, if you will. Mm-hmm. So very interesting stuff. Yeah, I think Cole Cole Beasley's got a roster bonus due, like on the on the fifth day of the league year. So whatever happens is going to mm-hmm. happen fast. Yeah, agree completely. And, and listen, we'll get more into McCaffrey tomorrow, uh, the the pros and cons of a move like that. But if he can stay healthy, and that's a huge if, uh, that could pay huge dividends for the Bills after we were just talking uh, you know, 20 minutes ago about them going all in and really being serious about making this the year. If you have a healthy Christian McCaffrey, that, that goes a long way in accomplishing your end-of-the-year goal. Here's something I want to throw at you guys. I you know, there's a lot of dollars to be had with restructures. We could talk about that if you want. If there's any that you really that jump off the table to you, I think Deion Dawkins is probably the obvious one. You know, there's there's players that you can move move away from, like uh, you know, obviously Cole Beasley, Daryl Dawkins. I think you save around six million, like near four million for John Feliciano, five million for AJ Klein for a defense that plays ninety five percent of their defense. In a, in a base nickel. So that's something to obviously consider after re-signing Tyrell Dotson. But the cornerback position is one to me that is very, very intriguing with how they attack this this offseason because you have Trey White who's out right now. You don't know when he's going to get back. You don't know the player that he's going to be when he gets back, at least at first. You figure it's probably going to take him some time to get back to even close to what he was before the injury. You have Levi Wallace, who is a free agent and could possibly command quite the contract if some of the numbers out there are true. But he is a guy that started a ton of games for you. What do you feel like is the approach at cornerback, knowing those two things? And beyond that, you have Dane Jackson and Cam Lewis, both good players. We like them on this podcast, but I don't know if that's necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's not going to. Uh, I think set you up moving into next season and not only set you up, how have the bills gotten eliminated the last two seasons? I mean, the, the offense, the explosive offense of the Kansas city chiefs, they have to find answers not only on the defensive line, but in their secondary. All right. I will admit to you guys, I was a little surprised how little of an issue it was that Tredavious white was out. And not, not, not that, not that they didn't miss. Of course they missed them, but they didn't suddenly start getting torched through the air after he went out. 
And when, to lose a guy that big, like that says a lot to me about your defense. And then, you know, something we talk about on my podcast, Charlie says, oh, they were picking on Levi Wallace. Wouldn't you? I mean, that, right. that if you wanted to throw the ball, that's where you would go. So I don't know. Um, I don't have a problem with him coming back. My personal take, just just how injuries run, I don't think Tredavious White is going to be 100% by week one next year. So I don't know if he's mm-hmm. if he's back and still rounding into form or if he's like literally inactive for that game. Like, I think they might need another cornerback either way here. So unless they, they ride Dane, are you going to ride Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace as your is your even if it's only for a week or two, I don't I don't know. So Levi Wallace, like I'm not, I don't. I feel like like most people in town, I would imagine, are like kind of relatively indifferent to the guy. If he comes back, that's great. If he moves on, like they'll they'll. I don't know. Do you know anyone who's a huge Levi Wallace fan? Yeah, Aaron Quinn is is maybe the okay. the president of the Levi Wallace fan club. Shout out to my okay. guy AQ. Uh, he actually was at that show as well. He came yeah, out. Yeah, he was. I uh, hung out a little bit as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, there, there's some out there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Sean, listen, Sean McDermott's got his archetype that he likes. If you are a, you know, a long rangy corner with who can play zone and has ball skills, like Sean McDermott's probably going to give you a call. This like, I, I don't know. Like he finds guys who are going to fit his defense and, you know, just, just the way that the defense is set up, it's, it's, they might not have the stats that look like it, but Sean kind of knows what he wants to, to plug in. And, and I don't know. I don't know. This is kind of what I'm leaning on you guys for, like, which, you know, which free agent is, is going to match there. But I feel like, you know, you have enough trust at this point in, in the Bean McDermott, the McBean front office here to go find mm-hmm. one of their guys. Yeah, it's really interesting. I wrote a story today about one of the best fits uh, from ESPN Insider about the, the top 50 free agents. The only one that made the list is the Bills having uh, be, being the top fit was Russell Douglas, uh, who was on a practice squad at the beginning of this year and then was signed by the Green Bay Packers. Five interceptions, two of which went for touchdowns, uh, really reestablished himself in Green Bay. And then you, then you go and you look at the market value and he's listed at $9.2 million annual mm. salary. And you're like, holy cow. Uh, I don't know if that's someone the Bills can bring in. And then you go and click on Levi Wallace's name in that same category, and it's $9.6 million. Hmm. And I get it. Cornerbacks are hard to come by. And those market values aren't always 100% accurate. Some of those guys sign for significantly less. They sit on the market for a while. Uh, but that just kind of goes to show you that, you know, maybe the, the player you know is better than the one you don't in that case. And Levi's been in this system for many, many years. The defense, like you said, held up surprisingly well. When, when Trey White wasn't here, obviously other options. Uh, I'd have to look at the dead cap uh, situation, but James Bradbury and the Giants, he has a hefty salary. He's someone that I've read the Giants are looking to get rid of. That might be more trade than uh, cutting, but I, again, I'll have to look at that. But he's someone that was in Carolina, McDermott's last year there and his rookie season. Uh, there's obviously going the rookie route. That's something I've actually pounded the table for quite a bit in the last uh, ever since Trey White signed that extension, I think having a high draft pick on a rookie contract opposite Trey White and that hefty salary makes a lot of sense. But can you get someone in here in the pick 20, whatever, uh, 24, that can come in and be an immediate impact type of player? I'm not sure. I, I don't know. It's very tough to, to find someone that you think is going to be a star player right out of the gate or someone that you can depend on as a rookie. So it's going to be really interesting to see the route that these two guys, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, that is go. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.
something else I wanted to bring up, I think I was kind of alluding to it and kind of going this direction. And then I, I decided to shift and go to cornerback for some reason. But Daryl Williams is one of those top cut candidates because of the money that he saves. And when you first bring that up, I feel like people get really apprehensive about it and really kind of stressed out, anxious, because if he goes, what are your answers in the interior? You got a restricted free agent in Ryan Bates, who let's be honest, he had a really good run, but I still think there's a bit of an unknown there in terms of an every down starter moving forward. Are you going to sign him back to be the guy at left guard moving forward? You have Feliciano, whatever you decide to do there. Ike Bucker's coming off the injury. Uh, and then obviously Cody Ford. But I think for me, what makes moving on from Daryl Williams um, something you can stomach if you're the Bills and not be too concerned about it is because you're bringing in Aaron Cromer, who I think is a guy that has a ton of experience in this league. His offensive line was really good when he was here the first time around. He went and spent three seasons in with the Rams. And I think probably could help Brandon Bean kind of like Bobby Johnson did to kind of target free agent guys. He knows a lot of people in this league, bring in guys that he can kind of, uh, he kind of envisions as fitting in his system, especially on the interior. And then you don't have to do what you're worried about, Nick, and pay a guy that you envision or you paid to be a tackle. And now you're, you're paying him almost $10 million to be a guard. You can kind of go out there, find some more, um, you know, cheaper deals and, 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 and build your depth that way. And I still think Brandon Bean mentioned this also on the podcast with Eric Wood. Don't be surprised if my first three, four picks again are on the line on both sides of the line. I have a feeling that they go and they try to target a top interior piece anyway, whether it's a developmental center, whether it's uh, a center of the future, if you will. I, I, I'm big on bringing back Mitch Morris restructuring his contract. We can talk more about that. But I, I think that that's something that I wouldn't be too worried about moving on from Daryl Williams because I think there's options. Yeah, definitely agree with that. He did. He saves a ton of money. He's one of my top cut candidates. He's got saved six million. If if you were to cut him, or if you made him post June one, it's over eight million. For for a guy you signed to be tackle who didn't end up playing tackle, that that screams that makes sense from the dollar standpoint. But if the Bills like his versatility, or if they think you know with a full off season at guard, I don't I, I don't know. It's something maybe you guys can tell me about. I feel like offensive line coaches, they all have like their own kind of like quirks and their style and guys that they like. And they, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a film type of guy here. I don't know. I, I'm not going to say, you know, in college he was playing, you know, the wide zone scheme and blah, blah. Like, I don't know if Aaron Cromer likes him or d- dislikes him because of, because of what he wants to do. I don't, I don't really know, but I think they can certainly move on. I think there's always people out there and absolutely, absolutely. They need, they need to draft some people on both sides of the line. If you were something, something that was coming across very apparent in the playoffs to me is they, they need help on, on both lines, interior offensive line, and basically across the entire defensive line. So I don't know. Can you like a lot of the games, Josh Allen to me was almost overcoming poor offensive line play. And that was sort of amazing to see like, like this, this growth that, you know, you're seeing from Josh, but it's like, Imagine if he like had time a lot of the mm. time and didn't have to like sometimes the amazing things he does is it's not because he's cool and he's showing up. It's like he had to do that to win this game because he was going to get killed otherwise. So, like they need they need an upgrade there somewhere. If they feel like we're going to give him a whole training camp and he's going to be be the right guy, what I, I don't know. But I think certainly he's an option to move on from. I, maybe even restructure. Say, listen, you're not a tackle. We paid you tackle money and you're not a tackle. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with that completely. You can't be paying Tim tackle money at this point because he's not the tackle. He's not someone you're going to count on in that regard. 
Um, I'm, I'm oddly enough, I'm more confident in bringing in a, you know, a rookie in the first round than I am like a cornerback position. As I was just talking about, if you get a rookie in round one, I think the fact that they could come in and be a plug and play guy day one is more realistic. I, I wouldn't be shocked by that. Uh, I saw someone mention Linderbaum who, you know, is traditionally a center, uh, but it might have that versatility to play guard until mm-hmm. Mitch Morris's time is over. But uh, it's going to be interesting because, like you guys said, if you gave Josh Allen a Indianapolis Colts offensive line or a Dallas Cowboys offensive line, and he didn't have to always get by that first guy that that breaks through, he could always do that. But it was in those other games where two or three guys were breaking through, like <laughs> Pittsburgh and Jacksonville, yeah. where it's like, listen, I'm only one guy. There's only so much I can do. But if you upgrade that that talent in front of him, and he's already said that's our number one priority is upgrading the offensive line, then by all means, you know, the, this offense can only go to higher levels if you, you're successful in that regard. And maybe part of that solution is getting rid of Daryl Williams because of the, the salary that he is currently getting paid and using that money, allocating that money to bring in maybe two guys that could compete for a starting job and one guy that could be a, a bench player. This team always brings in a plethora of linemen each year, it seems like, and you know, you, you get a lot of misses doing that. Russell Bodine, Forrest Lamp, guys like that that are coming in on uh, very low contracts. But you also make trades for Ryan Bates, and you also bring in a John Feliciano uh, that was kind of off the radar, someone that, that's come in. And they showed this year, uh, they knew what they were doing when they drafted Spencer Brown. So they, they've had just as many hits as misses, it feels like. So uh, parting ways with Williams and, and replacing him via free agency in the draft, I really do think is an option for this team on the table. The Bills do seem to love versatility. So if they want a guy, if you know somebody gets injured, they can kick him back outside. Like I don't know. It seems like they, they really value that. What do you got for us, Nick? I texted you uh, before we started, and I said, uh, what, what do you got for us? All right, I got two two things for you. First of all, I need to hear something about about the billboard that you guys put up downtown. So first of all, just tell me from like a procedural, how how does one acquire a billboard? I always thought when I was little driving in the car and you seem like, could I, could I just write whatever I wanted like up there? Like is that? And then number two, just tell tell me about like like the media land. Like how do you how do you convince your boss of, of this? And how do, how does that work? One we called William Matar, someone that's had many bill. No, I'm just kidding, Matt. Go ahead. This is you. This is all you. Go ahead. So when we started the podcast, it was kind of always like in the back of my mind that, that I thought that would be a great way to kind of like really generate some buzz going into the season around the show. And so when I pitched it, we had just kind of linked up with Tops as our sponsor. So I think that, that we pinched it with uh, with them as well in mind to kind of do like a, a dual mm-hmm. branding type of thing. And I I had like really modest expectations. And what it ended up being was this absolutely monster with our faces on it, like <laughs> driving downtown. And um, it was super awesome. And it worked out totally perfect, like exactly what I wanted. Um we crafted a contest around it to kind of generate some social buzz around it. So it was a whole kind of like marketing uh, plan and it was great. And people really um, participated in it. As a matter of fact, the contest we're putting together, we put the contest in and five people, won things. I, I owe three people t-shirts. I haven't forgot about that. I, we had to get to the end of the season and I, I'm still working out that I'll get your addresses. Uh, I'm going to go through all that, but we have, Somebody that's coming on to the show, they won a guest spot on the show for a show of their choosing. That's still getting worked out. And then we're setting up a dinner, a wings and beers dinner with Ryan and myself. 
and that's happening uh, sometime probably in March or April. We got to figure out a date, uh, but that'll be cool to get Ryan back up in Buffalo. But yeah, it was uh, it was a really cool thing. It was a you're, a, you're a taking great a listener concert. out for wings. Yes, do you yes. Do they they pick the spot or you guys are picking the spot. They They're pick picking it. the spot. And this okay. guy, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, he's already prepping for this. I saw this week he got a perm and he trimmed his beard. And this guy is wow. looking majestic already. So wow. I can Love only it. imagine what it's going to be like when we have this. Uh, a, I don't know if you can night. tell as a, as a curly hair haver myself. I mean, I, I respect that. Yeah. Uh, have you ever done, have you ever gotten a perm? I got a natural one, man. I don't, I don't need to go get this. All right. This is, this is all. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, locker room access. Let's talk about that with the pandemic. Right now, everything's done on on Zoom. And as a, I will, I will just tell you, since I'm not, I'm not in the locker room every day anymore. Uh, as a consumer, uh, I, on one hand, you know, you do get like the everyone's got the perfect sound, and it's on Zoom, and it's like it's right there. But man, I miss locker room access. Like, like the stuff that, in my opinion, at least that comes out when it's an open locker room is so much better, so much better, like many levels better than what we're getting on Zoom right now. But again, that's, that's me not being, you know, on the beat in a, on a day to day basis anymore. So I would love to hear your guys thoughts about, about just Zoom availability and the team selecting who speaks and the candidness of answers you get and anything you guys want to. Take that just on on Zoom and and hopefully the future of locker rooms opening back up. Yeah, so um, I'm glad you bring this up because it's timely. Um, Joe from Queens, um, everybody's favorite online curmudgeon. Um, he was on. <laughs> hey, Pat don't Moran's disrespect world like that, all right? <laughs> Johnny Three Dubs got nothing but love for for John Waro um, on this podcast. Uh, but no, I digress. Uh, he had a. a, a honestly like a good segment with um pat moran uh talking about some of his you know complaints about you know the the lack of information on 13 seconds and the heath farwell situation and you know just in general like not a lot of new i mean it was a very controlled year for the bills i mean they controlled everything you know and and i mentioned this actually at last the week before on, on pat's podcast it's just fitting that we were on back to back like that the Tyler Bass situation, the fact that we still don't know what happened on that kick is a direct result of the circumstances around media availability right now. Tyler Bass was not given to the media. We weren't able to talk to Heath Farwell because the game was over uh, and the season was over. And I guess you don't get assistant coaches after the season's over. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of things that you can do, you know, reaching out to players, reaching out to coaches. I'm not so sure that a lot of those folks are really in the mood to talk about all of that right now. And you've actually seen some of the players. Taiwan Jones is the most recent. Mm-hmm. Isaiah McKenzie was on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Diggs, Dawkins, Allen, they've all done media. And nobody has really gone into the the breaking down what actually happened on that on those final uh you know few plays. And listen, this isn't gonna go away. That's my point, and that, that I made on the show is that. Listen, whether it's happening now or at the start of training camp, those questions are going to keep coming until answers are provided. That's what this whole thing is about. And you saw Zach Eller, you know, come out after the fact, uh, I believe, uh, I can't remember what the, the specific situation was. Oh, why was Samaj P. Ryan in on third and short and not Joe Mixon? And he gave a, a detailed answer as to what the strategy was and why he made that decision and owning that. And listen, I, I've, I've maintained that I think Sean McDermott is protecting somebody. Because he's been a guy over the course of his career that's 
when he's had something that went wrong, he owned it. He stepped up to the plate. He said, I got to be better. And so I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt in that I th- I do think somebody's being protected. You see Heath Barwell going and becoming the new special teams coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. It seemed like a month ago, if you would have suggested that to me, I would have said, man, I do not see that coming. So that's a, a surprising move that we still don't have an answer to. Now, here's how you get answers. You talk to Sean McDermott, you talk to Brandon Bean. The next time we get a chance to do that, likely in Indianapolis. A lot potentially could be happening in Indianapolis in general. Things are going to be opened up back again. You're talking about the lack of locker room access. I think that there is going to be information flowing at the combine because this is going to be the first big NFL event that we get to actually get back and do what we, we we normally do. There hasn't been a normal day covering this team for me since COVID started. I mean, honestly, I've not, I've not, I've talked to three players one-on-one in person and at, at my request and, and granted by the bills and listen for all the stuff that you could be frustrated with about the situation. A lot of it is, the, the NFL protocols like that they're in place and whether or not you want to you know argue that the bills are taking advantage of it. I, I think you probably make that argument for, for certain things. Sure. And rightfully so. I mean, it's worked for them. They've gone to four playoffs in five seasons. If you, if you would have sold that to somebody in 2017, when Pagula's were looking for the next head coach and he was going to come in here and he was going to really tighten things up on the heels of Ryan Rex Ryan, everybody in bills mafia was going to sign up for that. And what comes along with that is that when you do want more information in these moments when things go wrong, maybe you don't always get all of it. And I'll tell you as a reporter, it's really hard to dig that out when a most of the people don't want to talk because they want to keep it all in house. And to a degree, I respect that even from my position where I'm trying to get all this information. And two, listen, if you're going to be back in the mix there and even if you're not, this is a pretty tight group. You know, nobody wants to be that guy where, you know, they're giving out that information. So it's a it's a really tough balance. I do think there should be more information reported. It's something that I've never stopped chasing, and I'm not going to stop chasing as we move forward. And hopefully I'll have more information as we move forward. But it's, it's just really tough right now. Just think about it. Two years. You were in the locker room, Nick. Two years of no ability to, to build relationships. And luckily for me, a couple have sustained for my two, first two years on the beat. But another argument was like, and sorry to monopolize all this, Ron, I want you to give your take on (laughs) all this. They mentioned on the podcast, Mary Kay Cabot in Cleveland and John McClain in Houston. They've been covering those teams for decades, for decades. They know everybody in the building in those cities. They know all the big players inside the team, outside the team, around the league. Like for my part, and I can only talk for myself, this is my fifth year on the beat. And so you know, I've broken a couple stories. Um, it hasn't been anything, you know, uh, you know, uh, shutting down pro football talk or ESPN or something like that. But a couple nice little like, like news stories over the course sure. of my four years. We'll see how it kind of transpires. And I'm hopeful that locker rooms are going to be open because that will be a big uh, help in, in, in getting back to some of that. And listen, when things are good like this uh, – Guys aren't going to want to talk. It's it's when things are really spiraling out of control. And I think if you're a Bills fan, you don't want to see that with this regime. You want to see the consistency kind of continue. And I and I honestly think that it will. I think they did a good job of navigating what I thought from the outside looking in, the toughest COVID distraction type of stuff that any NFL team faced in the league with what was going on around Cole. Yeah, 
I truly do believe, though, if the locker room had been open, someone that would have had a close relationship with one of the players, one of the coaches, they would have already had the answer to what happened on that kickoff and uh, a little more details. But because of the way things have been the last few years with the Zoom, uh, like Matt said, it's a very controlled environment. Everyone's getting the uh, giving not giving the same questions, but they're hearing the same questions or being given the same answers. You're working with the same stuff that everyone else is where that that's really not what this was a few years ago, where Matt could go into the locker room daily and talk to those guys and build those relationships. Same with everyone else. Now, from my perspective, as someone who's in, in education by day, these were kind of nice. I could come home. I could be a part of them. I could hear the questions. I could interact in them. But I'm a small part of, of the media compared to those guys that were there every single day and getting into the locker rooms and being able to, to create those feature stories where it wasn't something that you could just ask in a Zoom and then build that feature off of because everyone else heard that answer. All the right, Bills Mafia right. heard that answer because it's being shared on YouTube and it's being right. shared on all those platforms. So it is really night and day different. And if we are getting close to the finish line in terms of opening things up again, I think that's going to uh, hopefully be for the betterment of the media. Mm-hmm. Here's something too: Zoom was the, in my opinion, maybe not the sole reason, but by far and away the the biggest reason why Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Jerry Sullivan situation happened. Because what happened in this environment is that the Bills control who we talk to. And when you send Micah and Jordan out week after week after week to answer the same questions, they weren't really the ones that really needed to answer for that game. But because we never talked to Jerry Hughes or Mario Addison or some of the other veterans on the team, Matt Milano basically never talks. Um, that's in this environment. That's what's going to happen. And, and I almost felt like that was a storm that was brewing over the weeks as they were kind of going win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. There was probably a lot of frustration in the building. You saw it kind of boil over with Sean and, and Brian, I think, at one point when Sean was very kind of, you know, um, critic- he criticized, you know, Dable and where the offense was and whether or not it could question kind of where, whether or not it could be fixed. So, um, yeah, I, I, my both are fingers crossed that th- this this combine looks a lot more like what we're used to. We kind of can move uh, more toward what we used to have because there's a lot of stories. I mean, you know, Tim Graham to me is you know one of the best in the biz, and um, some of the stuff that he's gotten over the years in the locker room, just off to the side. I mean, as young journalists, me and you, Nick. I mean, we've we've looked up to the guy for a pretty long time, and watching sure. him work in there. And, and seeing what he's able to do. I mean, I've I've taken lessons just in my two years I- I- in the room with him to not have that access and be able to kind of, you know, continue to to work at that craft, which it is a craft. It's been a bummer. Yeah, no, something else I, I think about a lot is that not all press conferences are really made to be broadcast out to to the world. Like these are not supposed to be like like events where people ask questions for effect, you know, like, like we're not, we're not really in a press conference. We're not in the locker room, like to get likes. We're there because we're we're there on behalf of our audience who want answers to these questions. And it, it's not supposed to be broadcast out to everybody. You, you know, who reporters are that they know that they're on zoom and they might not even show up if it was a locker room, but because it's at a zoom at their desk, they're going to ask a question. That's about really, it's about them. Mm-hmm. And then there's people like, like 
people will say, oh, this reporter looks so dumb on that on that Zoom today. It's like he wasn't trying to look smart. He was trying to like say, hey, here's a thing that I think I'm probably wrong. Can you help me understand? And like like that's really how how we how people learn stuff. And it's mm-hmm. you know it's, it's it's not not the type of thing that's supposed to be blasted out to, to everybody. So it's just it's weird. I mean, we stream uh, Channel Four. We stream the Bills press conferences almost every day when they're on Zoom because. We can and people care and they want that from us. And we're happy to do that. And it's easy to, you know, see what guys are saying and be connected that way. But as a reporter, I would, I got to like, man, you could, you know, you pull somebody off to the side or you talk to them after, or it's just, it's, it's just not so public. And it's got, like quiet guys, especially you get a feel for, okay, you know, I can talk to you. Stefan Gilmore was like very quiet, but you could talk to him about a couple of things or you could, you know, it's just, it's just, it's not the same. And it's, it's, you know, I don't say this because the media needs this. It's like, we're, we're trying to do better by the fans. And it's like, it's much harder this way. Thanks for coming to my Ted talk. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes All I right. just like to see the silence just permeate yeah. a little bit. Yeah. All right. How much longer you guys go here? I could ask you questions all day. Hey, if you got another one, hit yeah. me. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, we're here. All right. Listen, I, I'm always curious how other other journalists like go about this in the, in their own head. So you, you too, if I can give you a little bit of props, I would say of the reporters who are in tune with their web analytics, how their stories are performing. I would say you two have to be some of the top in that category on, on the Bill's beat. And you guys know when there's a story that you've been working your butt off on and it's we, we, we know it's good journalism and it's a great story and it gets x thousand clicks and then there's like a dumb dumb story or just not i don't i don't mean to insult you like like let's say the sweet potato story that just just goes nuts and it's like you know in your head like which one is like made you feel better as a journalist then you see the numbers here and i assume that you two are are kind of in tune with that just how do you how do you go about that how do you how do you weigh those in your head doing the story that that is good journalism versus you know is going to get get engagement and i i know that you guys are, are kind of judged by that at your company like i don't know how to feel about that sometimes but i was curious how you guys feel so um that's a really good question and it's something that i feel like it's always like evolving for me in terms of what i think is a good story like so for for me of course the sweet potato story we knew when we started kind of tracking down elements of it that, and the, and the social engagement that it was something it was people wanted had general curiosity mm-hmm. about what was happening around this thing. There was a story there. People saw the picture and it was just like, please explain this to me. So, I mean, from a journalism perspective, I felt like that was a worthwhile endeavor. And it took me five hours on that night to mm-hmm. really track it all down, write the story. And I actually put some time into actually, you know, mm-hmm. the construction of it. Like, okay. It wasn't maybe, just some, maybe this was a, was a poor example on my part, I guess. But no, 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 no. You know what I was th- going. No, at. no, no, no. You're right. No, you're right. I want to tell you what I'm taught. What I'm going to compare it to something. So I took four hours on it, whatever. Right. I got it out. I was really proud of it. Right. But in, in essence, it wasn't, it was very like on the surface. Like, it was this fun little cool anecdote. And like this, this, this kid had the potato and it was this thing. Fine. The next day I had been working for like weeks on this Isaiah McKenzie, Brian Dable story. And I'd interviewed like five or six different players, coaches. I really like, I block edited it with my editor. Like it was, 
graph for graph. Like I, it probably took me in total 20 hours. I'll tell you, Nick, that it did 4% of the view views that the sweet potato story did. And I will also tell you, I haven't looked at it after the initial buzz of it, but at one point it was trending towards being my most clicked story in my five, almost five year run now at, at Syracuse.com. So yeah, that's the thing that we're always doing. First of all, I have a great editor. Shout out to Chris Baker, who had actually suggested that we try to write the story. Like he had been kind of tracking the buzz about it. And like he had this general like question, like what's going on here? So whenever he has like a question, he thinks that we should do a post on it. We share that idea. And so I like to provide that. But you're right. Like there's this also this like kind of battle going on when like you're trying to put together like a really good piece. And like if, if McKenzie, I've been thinking about this. If McKenzie goes to the Giants and he follows Dable, that's the kind of story that I feel like is going to really inform and engage an entire other fan base on top of the, the Bills fans that consumed it right around that game. And so it's a piece that I, 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 I enjoyed. I thought it came out really well. I don't think it's the best thing I've ever done. As a matter of fact, I thought I wrote the, uh, I thought I wrote the sweet potato story better. Which <laughs> is <just> crazy. <laughs> After all that, I thought I wrote it better. So, um, who knows? I, I, I hopefully that, that answers it. Ryan, what do, what do you think? Yeah, it's tough because I'll even text Matt sometimes and be like, man, you know, I put a lot of time into this, like targets at this position or long pieces with free agency. And maybe it doesn't do what I expect. And then I do a story about um, avocados from Mexico where, where they're giving a shout out to the Bills and something like that just goes off. And it was like that. Took Wait, me hold on. Were they giving a shout out or was it a diss? I felt it was a diss. Uh, at first, you know, I thought people were looking at it as a diss, but then people were like, no, you know, they, they were giving us a shout out. You know, that's that's us. And now people are saying they're going to dress up as barbarians next year uh, for Bill's game. So it's something to look forward to. I can't wait to huh. see if that comes to fruition. Okay, But it, it's just it is. It's really interesting because it's like, well, it didn't take me that long to put together that piece. And, it, and it's going off. Uh, it's doing really well or something about um, Stefan Diggs honoring Betty White with with cleats. And it's just like. That took me 30 minutes to put together just a, a quick hitter, and it's doing really well. So there's that frustration level a little bit. Matt and I are always going back and forth with headline suggestions because we know SEO is king uh, these days and how important that is. And, and sometimes I think we, we think we have it figured out and things are going well, and then we'll do one or two things that just like nothing happens. We're like, well, what went wrong this time? So we're always learning and adapting, but c- compared to, you know, Matt and those pieces, he's done a lot of stuff that's been great and, and that have done well now. But just look at it like Davis Webb, too, after he left the Bills and went to the Giants. You could share that again. And, and there were a lot of people talking about that. So Isaiah McKenzie, same thing, that you're going to have opportunities to reshare those pieces uh, down the road. And that makes those pieces that much more valuable. I thought that was a, a fun question. It's one that, you know, we always kind of toil with. And I'm a journalism professor, technically adjunct instructor who teaches young journalists how to do it. And I almost think in a lot of ways, my, me as a professional, like what I do on the beat, I wouldn't have been the, the, um, you know, the poster boy, poster person, sports writer, even 15 years ago, like, cause how I do it is completely different. And the emphasis isn't as much on the writing and so, I'm gonna be honest. A lot of what I do is is straight blog style stuff. It's quick. 
it's um you know like get it out there quickly and you know uh I, I don't put a lot of thought into you know unless it's something i'm actually working on that i want people to kind of sit down with it's not something that you know a lot of it's like so it's here it's gone it's here it's gone and obviously the podcast has become this its own animal that uh you know we love doing and it's been you know thankfully super successful because of all these people including mark mertz that you know tune in and watch us every week and i joke around mark but we appreciate every single one of you and i know that you're joking and uh i I appreciate all you guys all right last question for me anyone who comes on my on on the process podcast we always ask them this i hope this question is like getting a little bit dated at this point i hope but we always ask people uh what was your quarantine hack what got you through it I guess probably binge watching shows that people had already watched like many, many years ago. And, and I was finally catching up like Stranger Things. Uh, Bray Harris was always giving me flack when I was talking about it on social media. He's like, you're the, like the last person that's watching this. People have watched this three years ago. They already know what's happening. Uh, I, I'm terrible about movies and TV shows. I'll finally like get around to watching stuff. So that was it. I was big into like working out during the quarantine. It just kind of to pass the time to keep my sanity uh, you little, you little you probably ne- never saw it, I and mean, maybe you saw the picture of it. At one point, he got a full size watermelon and cracked it in between <laughs> his bicep and his forearm. And I was like, "Man, those uh, what were those? The beach body? Is that what you were doing?" Yeah, yeah, lift four. Yeah. Lift four. That's my kind of my go to. Yeah, no, you're uh, Ryan uh, motivated me to get off my butt during quarantine. I'll say. So I don't want to get too emotional here, but I really feel like I I reconnected with my wife. I mean, maybe a little bit too personal, but dude, it's crazy. Like in this business, like, first of all, Vegas, the UFC, like it was a whirlwind, man. Five years went by in a flash and I was traveling at times. I was gone for five, six days in a row and we had our son and then our daughter was born right before we moved back. And, you know, the, the bills gig at the start was this also like this like I never covered the NFL and I'm sure as you know, Nick, and you were actually like, I mean, you kind of had that kind of slow grind up into it and around it in in the sports. That's like as much as I covered sports and I did all this kind of stuff and starting on the beat was like a, an eye opening experience. Like I, I had planned it for years and years and years. Like it was the ultimate goal, but then getting here and doing it, like it was a, it was an eye opener and I had just gotten back and, um, got through the first season or so or two seasons it hit. And then me and my wife were just stuck in the house all together uh, with our two kids all the time, working and cooking and cleaning, mostly my wife cleaning. She still uh, yells at me about that. Um, uh, she actually just yelled at me about that on social media the other day about not doing the dishes. So yeah. there you go. Um, no, I think I just feel like we reconnected. It was almost like this, this kind of beautiful accident. And, um, you know, obviously we just celebrated uh, her birthday and Valentine's Day and um, I didn't do a post for her on Valentine's Day. Two reasons. One, I don't really love the whole Valentine's Day post. I think a lot of it is like fake, like out there, like people are just doing mm-hmm. it for show, right? Sure. Like we, we, we show each is. other. Yeah, exactly. So like I told her, like I just did a big lovey post for you for 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 your birthday and that 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 came out like organically like naturally i felt it that day and i posted it i just didn't do it for valentine's day and she probably felt some time away so as much as we connected we probably aren't connecting as much in the last couple of days but that's to me uh i'm just joking she just walked in a little bit before my show and um it was fine but okay <laughs> so, 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 so matt like a- I- 
I will ask again, what are your plans on Sunday? Boom, roasted. Um, back around. We came back around. Sunday. Oh, so Sunday we got a full day. I her um her professor from Buffalo State is her old professor from Buffalo State. She's coming over for dinner. Mm. This is what this is the content Mark wants, all right? Yes, Mark is here for it. He's still he said he's like, I'm joking. I love you guys. Um we're we got travel baseball practice. My mm. cousin played major league baseball. Uh he's from Brockport originally. Mm. His father, who obviously, you know, big reason why he got there. He coached him throughout uh, the run up, obviously, to he's coming to coach the travel team. Marino making me look like a real jerk. I'm talking about binging TV and he's all gushing about his wife. Thank God Valentine's Day is over. I'd be uh, digging myself even a deeper hole, at least at this point. And yes, Sir Nathan Thomas, uh, Carol Baskins, an aggressive defensive coordinator. There you go. I have answered. I've seen it in the comments here multiple times. I give you your answer. Nick, Nick, Veronica, coming with the good stuff tonight on both sides of it. All the Bills talk you can handle. If you are hosting a large party with family and friends, you haven't seen them because you've been watching Bills games every Sunday. This Sunday, you can host a large party. Just get to know close friends, relatives. Check out Topps' huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasyfoodball. And we're not playing fantasy football anymore, so we probably got to get a new read on that. But, Nick Veronica, let everybody know where they can find your work um, and where they can find your podcast, because a lot of people asking about it in the comments. Sure. Uh, we are on Apple, and we're on Spotify. It's The Process, a Buffalo sports podcast. That's me and my best friend, Charlie Wachowski. He's down, actually moved on to Atlanta, but you would never know because he's always talking about about the Bills. But, uh, yeah, we talk about Buffalo sports. It's It's mostly Bills, but we'll get into – Savers, we'll get into, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever sounds interesting. Uh, we like having guests on. We just had, um, man, we've had a bunch of guests lately, but, uh, I, I saw it. Was that Leone? Yes. We had, okay. So we had, we had, uh, two hats, one mic. He's like a local, uh, professional sports better or fancy sports player. He didn't like me using sports better, but, uh, if you ever <laughs> wanted to know what, you know, can you, can you make a living off of betting or fancy sports? You know, I asked them, I asked him about that. Um, Hit me up on Twitter. It's just at my name, at Nick Veronica. I'm on Facebook.com slash by Nick Veronica. And definitely check out Channel 4, WIVB.com. Mm-hmm. You can find Matt on Buffalo Kickoff Live. Ryan, we're, you got the green light from me. As far, I don't have enough pull over there to, to really get you <laughs> on. But if you, ever need, if you ever need somebody, let me know. And, hey, if, if you're listening to this, you're, you're in journalism, you might want to work on my team. We we are hiring a channel for if you want to be a digital Ooh. producer, if you got two years experience, you know, slide in my DMs. I'll I'll uh you know, we're looking. So it's tough I was just hiring about, that right now. I hear you. I was just about to shout out to my class and say anybody graduating, but then you said two years experience. Oh so well get to work, people. Hey, <laughs> listen, if you were if you were in media, you would not let that deter you. There you go. There you go. Great stuff. Uh, Mr. Nick Veronica, this was awesome. Let's do it again uh, sometime this off season. Um, thank you for taking the time. And everybody, thank you for watching. Don't forget, tomorrow we will be right back in your lives. It is going to be a probably a 45-minute pod tomorrow. You'll get my interview with Mike Gennetti. A lot of great nuggets. You're going to want to tune in for this. Ryan and I will have our reaction to that interview. Some big names, not just Christian McCaffrey. Get ready for this. Have a go, and everyone. Take care. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. Hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.